Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, my name is Saadi Ahmed. I am one of Philia's prolific podcasters, and I'm joined today by Hila Kerner, and she is going to tell you a little bit about herself hi. before we talk about the subject matter. So, hi, Hila. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you. So, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself, what do you do, and who you are? So I've been a collective member with Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter for 14 years now. We are the oldest rape crisis center in Canada, and we also operate a transition house for bettered women. And our collective understands the importance of not only providing frontline services to individual women, but fighting all forms of male violence against women locally and nationally, and that includes not just rape and bettering, but also sexual harassment, pornography, and prostitution. We are attached to to abolition, which means understanding prostitution as institution that is maintaining men's entitlement on women's body and is very harmful to the women who've been practicing prostitution. And that's partly why we formed the coalition to intervene, to intervene in this particular case. Okay, brilliant. So how many um, how many women are in the coalition? So the coalition is a national coalition of seven women's groups, including wow. indigenous women's groups. Cindy Gladue was an Aboriginal woman. We have Francophone women from the other side of Canada, from Montreal, from Quebec. We have, Canada is very, very big, but the organizations are joined are from across the country, including the Asian Women for Equality. It's a group collective of Asian women who are fighting prostitution and sexual exploitation because we do have a lot of Asian women in brothels in British Columbia and across Canada. So women's groups from, from across the country. So it's seven women's groups and it was a national coalition. So you mentioned C- Cindy Gladue. Can you tell me about Cindy, please? So she was a young native woman mother of three children who've been in this particular context of this case she her boyfriend arranged for her to prostitute for a man a truck driver from Alberta and there are cameras in the hotel that show that she drank a lot so she there was a high uh, level of alcohol in her blood which we know is an issue always with consent when it comes yeah, to sexual act so that's very relevant in this case. And she met with this man one night, and then he, she met him again in the following night. And in that night, eventually, as a result of what he did to her, she had such a terrible wound in her vagina that she died um, out of a blood loss. So, so, so many women are being physically very, very harmed in prostitution and nobody ever know knows about those cases but because she died there were charges and there were a trial in Alberta. And did this open up the conversation around violence against 
violence against prostitutes? No, it's mainly actually in the public discourse, mainly focused on the terrible, terrible oppression of indigenous women. We had two years now of um, an inquiry, a national inquiry to the murdered and missing indigenous women because they are, the level of violence against indigenous women is even higher, dramatically higher than violence against non-indigenous women in Canada. They are four times more likely to be murdered. They are three times more likely to be victims of male partners' violence. 4% of Canadian women experienced sexual harassment in the workplace in the last year, while 10% of Indigenous women with a paid job in Canada experienced sexual harassment in the last year. So they're very, very, very vulnerable to male violence. That's um, a really big jump from 4% to 10%. So why, right. why, why is that? Why are Indigenous, indigenous women more vulnerable? For a few reasons. First, they have much less much less choices than non-indigenous women. They're in generally much poorer. They in generally have less education. Yeah. Um, they have um, less. Their family members have less ability to economically support indigenous women. So have less choices in general. And we know the more choices we have, we're more likely to secure safety and security. And this is one aspect, women's poverty really, really limit, limited, limits women's choices, but also because of the racism and the ongoing oppression of indigenous people since colonialism started, they are mm. being seen as less. Mm. And the third element that men who do harm women in general, but particularly indigenous women, <laughs> rarely, rarely being charged and held accountable. So men know that they can get away and they will get away with violence against women in general, but definitely with violence against indigenous women. We have terrible example of examples of indigenous women do come forward and complain to the police and get terrible, terrible treatment. We have cases of police officers raping indigenous girls and women across the country and not being held accountable. So the, the social messages, the message that men receive here in Canadian society is you can do anything you want to Indigenous women and you will get away with it. How many women are coming forward with stories now? Do you have any statistics? The statistics are always limited when it comes to a violence against women, but yeah. the... The RCMP, which is a national police force in Canada, counted mm. 1,200 murdered and missing Indigenous women. And missing means they were murdered, just they could not find their bodies in the oh. last 20 years. And there were a few, there was one very famous inquiry here in the province that we are at in British Columbia because prostituted Indigenous women from the downtown side of Vancouver just disappeared. They disappeared and the police kept ignoring their friends and their family saying uh, something happened to our woman. They ignored the fact that the women stopped collecting their uh, welfare checks, that they did not come to see their children. So those women, all, often because of the oppression that they're dealing with, 
um, losing their children as part of it. So they're being taken care of either by the family or by the state. So, and for years and years, the police ignored reports on missing women. And then it turned out that many of them were killed. We know in general, police disregard reports on male violence against women. Sexual assault is classic. Doesn't matter your class, doesn't matter your race. It's much harder for the police to ignore murders. But not yeah. in the case of indigenous women, they also ignored murder. That's why we formed a coalition. We're also doing other things like we were at the inquiry that it was a national inquiry on the murder and missing indigenous women. My collective, Vancouver Ray Police, we received standing, which meant that we conducted cross-examination of the expert witness that the inquiry brought forward. In those submissions, we brought forward what we know uh, about violence against uh, indigenous women. And half of the women who call our transition house, better women, are indigenous women and most of them on welfare. So from our own very basic frontline work, we know how poor they are, how commonly they are um, being hurt and harmed, how fast the social services are to apprehend babies of indigenous women instead of offering support to young mothers who are struggling, the state is paying a fortune to foster families. How, how quickly do they do that? We just had a case that they came in the three days after the birth, when the woman was still in the hospital. There is such a contempt, I think, and patronizing and disregard for indigenous women. It's basically, I don't know if you're familiar with the residential school system, of apprehending children from indigenous families and putting them in church-led so-called educational institution that they were raped and uh, starved. And many the children were being raped and starved. Yeah. Um, the system of, of residential school is over. In the 80s, they shut down the last residential school, but the concept of the state violently interfering instead of supporting indigenous women and indigenous family caring for the children is still very, very aggressive. So the residential schools are over, but the damage that they did for generations of indigenous people is still very, very much alive. But mm. the continuation of apprehending children instead of offering different forms of support, including economic support, housing and stuff like that, is still very much existing. So proportionately, how how many uh, non-Indigenous women have their children removed uh, in comparison to Indigenous women? So I can give you the provincial stat is we have 4%, 4 of women in British Columbia are Indigenous, but 50% of children in care in British Columbia in state care are Indigenous. Wow. Half of the children who have been apprehended are children of indigenous women. So it's many, many, many times more than the 4%. Do you have any um, sort of interactions with your government? And are they, have you shared your findings with anybody in government? These, and are, there... these, are, these are well known facts, these are well known stats. If people are interested, on our website, there is a section called statistics. And we put, we just gathered, um, we looked into 
very worldly, very lengthy state-based research, and we just extracted the data to make it reader-friendly. But these are well-known stats. If the government wants to know, the government have it all in the very, very accessible. And are they doing anything about this? Very, very little. Very little. The welfare rates in all the provinces are unlivable, which do women to poverty. Transportation is public transportation is scarce in um, lots of rural places and reserves and, and costly, which means women have to hitchhike or rely on favors of men and they are vulnerable that way as well. The rate of men who've been charged and convicted for male violence is very, very low. What is done, obviously, is way too little. And mm. some reforms, like increasing women's economic security, is a very simple reform. Having support services for young mothers instead of apprehending the children is a fairly simple reform. It just requires a different thinking and a political will. In comparison, do you think non-Indigenous women, they're more likely to get all the services and access to everything that they need? No, but much more than Indigenous women. Really, when it comes to sexual assault, women never get justice. And I think it's similar where you are. All over the world, I don't think we have really good examples of criminal justice system holding men accountable. And we actually, we would rather not to rely on the state. We would rather that we will have communities who are holding men accountable, but we're not there, on the contrary. So mm. I think this is a universal situation. What do you think about the the people, and including women, that think that prostitution is a choice? Some people are um, just ignorant about the real oppression that women are still facing all over the world. There is something so sophisticated in the promotion of such harmful practices, pornography and prostitution is empowering and liberating. And I, it's not that I do not think that some women choose it. I'm sure there is a section of women, there is always a story about the woman who paid her PhD, I'm sure there are a few like that. It's just for those women right to choose, we cannot sacrifice a million and a million of women who do not have that choice. And for women who really have a choice, I say go to something else because the slavery of the rest of us is not worth it. So I think the choice element is on one, for some people, it's for women, it's wishful thinking. I've met a lot of women in prostitution who, when I met them, they exited prostitution and they said at the time, I would say I choose it. I could not, I would have never admit how little choices I had and how terrible it is, it was for me. But a lot of women, there is such correlation between addiction and prostitution because it's very, very hard to deal with that. So women use drugs and alcohol to, to numb that reality. And I'm saying, you know, for the sake of the... Uh, intellectual debate. You think it's choice? Bring us true liberation. Bring us yeah. true equality. Then have women choose it. And the moment you do think, do have proper economic equality for women, they are less likely to choose it. But also, when have you ever seen an aristocrat or a royal going to prostitution? You yes. know, they could choose it too. But if, yes. if you have that level of comfort, you don't need to choose right. prostitution. And the argument that there are minimum wage, terribly exploitive jobs that are, that prostitution is better. Yeah, mm. we should not have minimum wage, terribly exploited jobs either. I think that for us as feminists, we know 
the concept of consent mean there was no any coercion, there is no any pressure for us to actively and enthusiastically engage in sexual act. Once the money is there, once we do it for money, that's such a powerful coercive. Women would have not done it if it was not for the money. What what do you need help with? I mean, what can what can we do from you know our respective all of our listeners? How can they help? Because there's going to be lots of women listening. I'm sure that had no idea that this was happening, um, that the inequality between indigenous and non-indigenous women was so huge. Uh, I think I think Canada really cares about its international reputation. Yes, I think so it I does. think protests in front of Canadian embassies, petition to Canadian Prime Minister do have a strong effect here in Canada. Like where I come from, it's not the case. In Israel, is the Israeli racist, capitalist, fascist government really do not care about what the rest of the world is um, saying. But it's not true about Canada. Canada is very caring about international reputation and international image. So for women who are listening and they want to write group letters and with concrete demands, women's equality in terms of poverty, criminal justice system of holding men accountable, supporting women's motherhood, offering Mm. housing, education. Um, They have a very, very simple demand that we already know from from our own lives and from the rest of the world that are increasing women's safety and security. So I think for for your listen for women who are listening who are not from Canada, um, putting some pressure on the Canadian government, making public statements is, is very effective. How many indigenous women do you have in terms of numbers in in Canada, like roughly, obviously, um, oh, and how many non-Indigenous women do you have? Oh, I don't have the absolute numbers, but we know that it's 4%. 4%? Yes, okay. it's, a, it's a small minority. And because we are, we operate in a very limited democracy, mm. that you need majority to have your rights uh, met, which is not true democracy. True democracy means that the majority are taking care of the rights of the minority and protecting that's rights. So it's a very small population and it's because of the devastating impact of um, blunt murders, residential schools um, and other forms of colonialism. Yeah. So who are the main perpetrators for these women? All men. We looked at them. We keep a... Any woman who call us, and we have approximately 1,200 new calls from women every year, we keep the story of what they told us because sometimes it's the only place that there is a record of what that man did to that woman. Yeah. And from our the women who call us, and it's of course it's not a it's not a sample of what's going on in general. It's just from looking in one rape crisis center in an urban setting. of the women, indigenous women who call us, the men who committed the violence, violence against them, especially if it was in, within the family, was an indigenous man. The other 45% was white men, and the rest was other men of color. So at least in urban setting, indigenous women are vulnerable for all men, from 
to all men's violence. If they are in yeah. reserve, they will be vulnerable to indigenous men's violence. So it's really all men, all men, all men know that they can harm indigenous women, they can prostitute indigenous women, they can rape indigenous women, and sometimes they can kill indigenous women with immunity. Gosh. So, okay, when uh, a woman experiences any kind of abuse, sexual violence, or anything other than having been murdered by somebody outside of her community, when she goes back to her community, are there any repercussions from within her community for her being victimized? Oh, not, not, not that we're familiar with. It's not like other communities when women's. If we, I, I know there are some conservative communities that if a woman um, was sexually assaulted or raped, I know it's true for the Orthodox Jewish community and it's true for um, Muslim some Muslim communities that she brings shame on the family, that's, that, that, that's not the treatment of indigenous women, I think. Not, not exceptionally. Well, at least that's one less thing that they have to contend yeah, with. It's not any better, is it? It's very rare to meet indigenous women who have not been sexually assaulted and raped, and more than once. So in, in, in one way, as women in the world, we are all vulnerable to male violence against women. Within our, my own collective, we all experience male violence, and so many in the world. That's what it means to be a woman in the world. But definitely, when it comes to indigenous women, they will experience many, many forms of violence against women from a very early age. So we have the shared experience of male violence, but they also have an exceptional, exceptional experience of really, really wearing the brunt of male violence against women. Are the attacks more likely to be more violent against Indigenous women? I think the numbers of the murders shows that yes. And it's not mm -hmm. like we know women from all from all races and ethnicities are being murdered, but yeah. often by their husbands. But I think strangers, men that um, are, are strangers to the women, when it comes to Indigenous women, will be more careless with taking women's lives. Did the indigenous women get that same level of support from uh, mainstream domestic abuse and sexual violence services? So non-indigenous women's services, did they step up to the mark before the Cindy Gadu case? It's very complicated. I think most frontline services are trying to avoid taking a position on prostitution. I right. think when I think a lot of a lot have been horrified by this particular case, but they try to avoid making a political analysis of how this case is example to why prostitution is not an answer for the pl plight of indigenous women because it has all the making um, of those who promote prostitution argue for like that mm -hmm. um, there was a third party negotiating for this act, there was camera, it was indoors, all the things that supposedly will guarantee women's safety, and of course they didn't, and they don't. But I think, yeah. unfortunately, many, many women's services will not take a, a position on prostitution, because it's not a popular position within the mainstream, and 
also a lot of of women's groups um, because of the funding and the pressure to not have the freedom to act publicly or to do what we do uh, form a coalition and and intervene with the Supreme Court and also which I think is a mistake a lot of a lot of women's group will say well we want we want to leave um, the floor for indigenous women to speak up which I think absolutely we should mm. give the mic we should give the platform to indigenous women but we cannot uh, not uphold our own responsibility to speak up against violence against indigenous women yeah and actually there's there's something to be said for standing beside somebody rather right. than saying you do it for yourself and we'll just back off yeah. uh, particularly when women's services do get a lot of resources in comparison to activists or you know women who form coalitions might not have the same amount of resources that women's services do service providers actually get a lot of funding and they don't act radically um, and to me like listening to everything that you said there's nothing actually uh, even though women's services think it's a radical stance to take it's actually not a radical stance because all you're asking for is women's fucking rights right. to even you know it's quite offensive to hear that mainstream women services aren't piping up about this they aren't kind of animated by this because they're trying to safeguard their funding that's quite an offensive yeah. To, to hear actually so it doesn't matter how many indigenous women experience exactly the same fate as Cindy Ledoux to safeguard their funding they're just going to sit back and deal with the cases that are straightforward that don't have any complexities that don't involve any difficult discussions when actually the problem uh, the problem is that once upon a time they had to fight to simply exist you know, there was right. a time. I think, when... Yeah, I think it's true in many, many countries that the anti violence against women movement has been de radicalized. Yeah. And er, um, erased to frontline services. Like, frontline services was exactly as you said, was a radical thing. It's us between the men who want to kill the woman and the woman. Yeah. But um, it was a political weapon. A, um, an entry point to change the world. Mm. So I think a lot of uh, women's services and frontline services are now being pressed to narrow just to that aspect and to depoliticize the overworks that overall work that they do. It's quite it's quite sad, but actually the the biggest losers then are the poorest women experiencing the most complex issues, which in your cases would be the indigenous women right. in the uk has been bme women um and traveler women as well um yeah. all that means is that we have a huge amount of women that are completely unrepresented and nobody's speaking for them and we have some women who you know have the luxury of being able to come and use services that are depoliticized that haven't got any real complex um issues They've been victims of awful issues like domestic abuse and sexual violence. Of course, that in itself is awful. But what about the women who have other issues on top of that? Um, are they just to be pushed to one side so they can secure their funds? I find it completely um, 
I find it quite offensive, actually. And I realised that this in part came from funders, but also women's organisations quite happily allowed themselves to be depoliticised. Um, and that's not acceptable, really. Yeah. yeah, I think that the more we fight for the most dispossessed and the most oppressed women, everybody else will benefit from that. Mm. But um, fighting for white middle class women or like women in like boards and capitalist company, I don't think should be a priority for us. Yeah. I think, I think the safe agenda is to fight for those at the bottom. All other women will benefit from that. Of course. And naturally, every other woman does benefit from that. When you yeah. fight for ones that are the worst, um, you know, the, the most at risk, exactly. everybody benefits. But if you're only exactly. focusing on those that are, you know, comfortable enough to go come and get therapy and come and get, like, support, um, then you end up leaving quite a lot of women behind. Yeah, um, I, th I think a lot of women in privileged position in the academy, in politics, mm. in uh, businesses and other cap capitalist endeavors, they do not understand that they're only there because of the women's liberation movement. Mm. I think they totally uh, fell into the, pro the capitalist neoliberal propaganda that you achieved what you achieved because of what you personally, individually did. Yeah. And they do not understand how much they owe the women's liberation movement, which means how much they owe to women who do not have those privileges yet. Yeah, exactly. The man who killed her was acquitted in the first round. There was um, the, the uh, public outrage, as I said, that was led by indigenous women um, got the prosecutor to appeal this judgment, and then Alberta Court of Appeal ruled that there were many, many mistakes in the trial, that the judges, the judge used very old jury instructions that do not capture all the feminist reforms that have been done to sexual assault law, and um, they ruled for a retrial, a new trial, and the accused appealed that, and the case uh, was heard in the Supreme Court of Canada, which we as a coalition made our argument as well, and the Supreme Court of Canada accepted the original appeal ruling that there will be a new trial. So now we are waiting for a new trial in um, in a provincial court about this this murder. So there is no decision yet about this particular man, mm. um, but it did. Uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, by the way, completely disregard our feminist argument about prostitution um, and about uh, violence against women. But we we rarely do stuff really to impact the state. What we achieve from that is sharpening our own analysis and creating a lot of educational materials. And because we were mm -hmm. the only intervener that had our position, we got quite a lot and uncommonly these days, um, mainstream media exposure. So we used this yeah. as, a, as, a, as a way to express our support in Indigenous women and to kind of strengthen, strengthening the movement analysis of violence against Indigenous women, in particular in prostitution. So that's about, so we are waiting. We are waiting for a new trial. 
and um, hopefully this man will held accountable, but also that uh, um, judgment will reflect some useful analysis about indigenous women in general, violence against women in general, prostitution and how harmful it is in general. So were there other women's groups involved uh, during the case and during the hearing? Yes, so we had the um, indigenous women, uh, sorry, Aboriginal Women Action Network. We had a um, French group against sexual exploitation, which I cannot pronounce their name in French. <laughs> uh, we had the Asian Women for Equality. We had an exiting group from Alberta. Mm. And we had um, um, Eve, which is Exploited Voices Now, formerly Exploited Voices Now Educating, which is a group of women who've been in prostitution and exited prostitution and now advocate for abolition. So our yeah. coalition was a very, and we, of course, the oldest repressive center in Canada and we operated Transition House. So it was a good um, combination of um, expertise, frontline expertise and, and good analysis on violence against women, violence against indigenous women and violence against women in prostitution. Yeah. And we all try to work um, when we do national work to work in a coalition because yeah. it has much more impact, not just on the institution, but on the movement as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes the campaign much, much stronger, right? Yes, exactly. So uh, your coalition, is, they, uh, is everybody from Canada? Yes. Do you have... Do you have women and groups from outside as well? So if other women's groups from other countries wanted to join, if they're listening, would they be able to do that? Or is it no, no, because it was a very particular um, coalition for a very particular cause, and the members needed to be Canadian members to get status from the Supreme to to get standing or status as intervener from the Supreme Court of Canada. I see. So, I see. Yes. Okay, so if there was, if, do you have any like final words or uh, anything that you'd like to say or ask our listeners at all? That I know that um, in England there is wonderful work, not only on violence against women, but on other issues. And I appreciate the ongoing solidarity and the support that we got from women activists all over the world. And I think now there is great leadership from British women about um, the impact of the gender discourse on women-only spaces. So we appreciate that. And um, I think I think all of us, what we need to do is we need to think globally and act locally, but think globally because together and only together we can really create a global uh, social change. Yeah. And there are many, many exciting examples from all over the world. And my advice to women or individual women, come together as a group. Uh, yeah. we have so, there is so much power of the things that we can do together. Three women, five women, ten women. And in this era of internet, we can connect, we can teach each other. Um, but there is something about coming together, the old, old practice of consciousness raising, understanding our own oppression and we strategize uh, women's liberation and to remember that no woman is free until all of us are free. 
Yes, quite right. So on that note, what I would like to um, do is give all the women that want to organise a protest outside the Canadian Embassy, I want to give you guys a shout out. Please get in touch um, so that we can set to um, and we can start planning something so that we can really, you know, shame Canada into doing something about this. You know, we won't stop until things change. Our website yeah. is very accessible. It's Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter and there is like a contact button that you can send us a general email and we're happy to support any local organizing on this issue and others. So once again, what's your website? Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. So if you Google it, you will get to our address, which is rapereliefshelter.bc.ca. But if you Google Vancouver Rape Relief, it will get you to our website. Brilliant. Vancouver Rape Relief. Um, yes. And when we when we do start organising this, um, we'd like to keep connected with you so that we can, um, you know, we can get as much information out there as possible about what's happening and try and force some change because I think sometimes it's it's us on the ground that can change those up above. Exactly. Um, yeah. Thank you so much speaking with me uh, Hila thank you so much I had no idea about any of this um, and I've certainly been very very shocked by what I've heard and I think a lot of our listeners will be as well um, but I'm really hoping it will spur them into action to, to, to do something I know we've got some really fiery women at Filia and uh, some yeah. of the listeners are going to be pretty fiery too so I'm really hoping right. that they'll be able to We'll be able to do something about this. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Until we win.